Good morning, everyone. There we go. Good. My name's Eric. I'm the pastor here at Trinity. And Frank read from Acts chapter 17. And we are now in our second to last sermon in our current series. There it is up on the screen. We've called it Throwback, where we're looking at the second part of the book of Acts. Looking at these first churches that were ever established. These churches that in these cities scattered throughout the Greco-Roman world became this movement that completely transformed, that completely changed the world. And we're asking, how did this all start? And Acts is telling us that story. We're also asking, how can it continue? How can we be a church that is a part of this movement, this ongoing movement of the gospel? How can we be a church that's both spiritually healthy and fruitful. But what does it mean to be faithful? What does it mean to be focused on the mission and the vision that God has for the church? So we're in our second to last, as I said, and we're calling it Learning Church. Last week we looked at the church at Ephesus, and it was actually three chapters later, and we called it Deep Church. We talked a lot about deep teaching and what that looks like. In fact, as we were looking at the book of Ephesus, a lot of my comments last week were on how we tend to miss a deep engagement with the Scriptures because we often shrink the Bible or we often kind of just skim the Bible. And so as I was thinking about it this week, we had the choice to close out our series on, on, on Acts and on Throwback this week, but I thought it would be good for us to look back at Acts chapter 17 at the church in Berea. Because the church in Berea is laid out for us a, a positive model. What does it look like to have a transformative encounter with the scriptures? And this community there in the city called Berea is given to us in the book of Acts to give us a positive model. What does it look like? How does that even happen? As you're getting to know me as a pastor and I'm getting to know all of you, I wanted to share one of my pastoral pet peeves. And so here it is. One of my pastoral pet peeves is when a sermon or a series of sermons over and over again has a main point of application that is, read the Bible more. Read the Bible more. You need to be reading the Bible more. I agree with that. I agree with that personally for my own life. I need to be reading the Bible more. But, in my experience, most of us who are Christians, we would agree with that as well. We know we would like to be reading the Bible more. And those of us who are not Christians but are still exploring the Christian faith, we understand that the Bible is the source book for Christians. And so, the issue is not knowing either of those two things that it is a good thing to read the Bible or that the Bible is the source book for Christianity. The issue is that there's often a disconnect between us and the Bible. And so it's like if you went to a gym, if you joined a gym and you wanted to get fit and get healthy and you went in and there was just signs all around that said, exercise more, work harder, try hard. But there was no equipment, there was no weights, there's no treadmills, there's no personal trainers. What good is that going to do you? We need to go beyond just hearing the call to read the Bible more and understand more clearly 
What does it mean to be a learner? And what does it mean to have a transformative encounter with the Bible? And this disconnect can be true for us, whether we've been in the church for a long time. We may have grown up in the church. Or those of us who are new to the church and new to the Bible might experience a disconnect. For those of you for whom the Bible is new, it's very unfamiliar. At Trinity, one of our most important goals is that we would be a church for people like you. A church where you can start to understand the strangeness of the Bible. You can start to wrestle through your questions and explore those with us. If the Bible is strange or offensive or difficult to you, I think the Berean church can help. On the other hand, if the Bible is old to you, it feels very familiar to you, another one of our most important goals for, for our church is that those of us who have grown up in the church, we've been around the Bible our whole lives, that we would experience a sense of ongoing renewal when we encounter the Scriptures. That it wouldn't grow stale or old or be the same old, same old. If the Gospel or the Bible has become stale or powerless to you, I think the Bereans can help us as well. Frank mentioned it in the preface to, to reading the passage, but a number of weeks ago we looked at how a church was started in a city called Thessalonica. And the message was called disruptive church. Because what happened when Paul came and he began teaching the scriptures there and sharing the message of Jesus is that everything erupted. There was a mob. There was a riot. People were saying these guys are starting a revolution. They're turning the world upside down. And Paul got kicked out. And so he found himself down the road in this city called Berea. And since these two incidents and these two churches are back to back in the ministry of the Apostle Paul, the author, Luke, is trying to get us to look at the contrast between these two communities, Thessalonica and Berea. In Thessalonica, by and large, they completely missed it. They didn't even give the message of Jesus a chance. But in Berea, by and large, they received it. And their lives were changed. What's the difference? From the passage, I think we can see, if you're following along and taking notes, you can find that in your outline in your worship folder, four keys to a transformative encounter with the Bible. And so these four keys are open-mindedness, receptiveness, slow inquisitiveness, and eagerness. Let's take each one of those one at a time. First, open-mindedness. This first key to a transformative encounter with the Scriptures has to do First, with our character, the type of character that we're bringing to whether we're listening, reading, or exploring the Bible. Before we even hear it, there's an aspect of our character that strongly influences our response. Look at verse 11, what Paul says there. Paul, Paul says, or um, Acts says about Paul and his ministry there, it says, Now these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. So what set this community apart the Bereans from the Thessalonians, was that they were noble. What does that mean? Well, the word noble was originally uh, used to mean being of noble birth, but it came to mean being noble-minded or open-minded. One commentator says it means that they allowed no prejudice to prevent them from giving Paul a fair hearing. So open-mindedness means we're not controlled by a bias or a prejudice so that we're able to listen to 
and fairly examine others' beliefs and views. William Hare, who is a philosopher of education, here's how he defines open-mindedness. A readiness to consider new ideas together with the commitment to accept only those that pass scrutiny. And isn't this what the Bereans did? They were eager to listen. They were ready to receive some new ideas, but they also examined these ideas before they placed their faith in them. This kind of open-mindedness is not saying all beliefs, all moral actions, all choices are equally valid and equally good. As G.K. Chesterton said, merely having an open mind is nothing. The object of opening the mind as of opening the mouth is to shut it again on something solid. So the first key to a transformative encounter with the scriptures, with the gospels, that we all have to set aside our biases, set aside our prejudices, and listen with an open mind. But in order to do that, we have to know what our biases are. We have to know, how am I prejudiced? So that I'm not listening with an open mind. And the problem with that is that we have such a hard time seeing our own biases. So what can we do? How can we know them? Well, one key diagnostic from this passage for our own closed-mindedness is our anger. Look at the Thessalonians versus the Bereans. In Thessalonica, the response to the gospel was anger and attack. Let's get this guy out of here. In Berea, it was open-mindedness. And what does this teach us? It teaches us that the things that make us most angry about other people and about other groups are an indicator to some of our biases and some of our prejudices. These are indicators to being closed off to the power of the gospel. In Thessalonica, it was a sense of their ethnic and religious superiority. And when that was threatened, when they felt that was threatened, they began to attack and they became very angry. And so the question is, for us to wrestle with, how might my anger reveal a sense of superiority in my life? To ask the question, what is my anger revealing about my biases? What might my anger be revealing about my prejudices and my character? If we're willing to ask this, we have to be willing to ask this in order to have a transformative encounter with the Bible. Now, it might be surprising to see this here, that Luke says, Christianity fosters open-mindedness and that it is most appealing to open-minded people. Because some of you might think that Christianity is more of a closed-minded faith and religion. But according to Acts, closed-minded Christianity is an oxymoron. Why is that? It's because the, the gospel, the heart of the message of the Bible, gets to the root of closed-mindedness, which is pride and fear. Pride says, I don't want to listen to you because I'm better than you. Fear says, I don't want to listen to you because I'm threatened by you. But Christianity says, we all have equal dignity. We all have equal worth. We all are equally broken and sinful. So I can learn from you, no matter who you are. Whatever situation is going on, I can learn from this. And secondly, my worth and my identity is not based on my group. It's not based on my ethnicity. It's not based on my performance. 
on my ideas or being right or winning the argument. My identity is based in what Jesus has done for me. So I don't have to fear an open dialogue. This character trait of open-mindedness, isn't it a character trait that is desperately needed in our time? And so I want to say some remarks about this past week. It was a contentious week. It was a contentious election. It was an unexpected result. There's a lot of division. Now what? One thing we can do is to model a proper open-mindedness. One of the most healing and hopeful things we can do as Christians is say things like, here's how God is working on my own biases and prejudices and my own anger. And here's how I'm repenting. Here's how I'm working on these things. That's only one thing. I have a few more things to say about this election a little bit later. But how powerful will it be if the reputation of Christians is that we're listeners and learners? That's the first character trait, open-mindedness. The second key to transformative encounters with the gospel is receptiveness. Look at verse 11. It says they received the word. And I just want to zero in on that one word, received. It's the same word used for warmly receiving visitors into your house. And the sense here is that they didn't keep the gospel at a distance, at arm's length, but they let it enter in. Enter deeply in to their own lives and their own souls and the things that they were facing. Thanksgiving is coming up soon and one of the most important parts about Thanksgiving is welcoming people warmly into your home, friends and family and visitors. Now, can you imagine if you were invited over to someone's house for Thanksgiving and they greet you at the door, they open up the door and they say, hello, what's your name again? Oh, I forgot. But, you know, you're going to be eating outside and you look in and you see all these people having fun inside and enjoying their drinks and food and you're like, wait, but, but you're going to eat outside. We'll be back soon. Shut the door in your face. That would not be a very warm welcome. But I would suggest that's how we often handle the Bible. It's there when we need it. It's on the periphery of our lives. But it's not making a difference in our real, real struggles, in the deepest places in our lives, in our everyday actions. We know a lot about the Bible, maybe, but it still largely remains on the periphery of our lives and it's not transforming us. So what does it look like then to warmly welcome the Bible and receive it into our lives? A couple of thoughts. First, we need to receive it personally. One common way that we avoid receiving the Bible in our lives is when we use the Bible as a weapon against other people. That that's the main filter we use. Look at what I'm reading and look at the problems I see in that person or in these groups but we rarely find that we're personally confessing, that we're personally challenged by the Bible. Some of you may be familiar with the book Screwtape Letters by C.S. Lewis. In that book, C.S. Lewis is writing as if he were a demon, one of the devil's servants, trying to knock somebody out of their place of faith. 
And so I'm going to share this quote here from the screw tape letters where the demon screw tape is giving advice to his lower demon on how to shake up and prevent a person from developing a deep Christian faith. So here's what his advice is. Be sure that the patient remains completely fixated on politics. Arguments, political gossip, and obsessing on the faults of people they have never met serves as an excellent distraction from advancing in personal virtue, character, and the things the patient can control. Make sure to keep the patient in a constant state of angst, frustration, and general disdain toward the rest of the human race in order to avoid any kind of charity or inner peace from further developing. Ensure that the patient continues to believe that the problem is out there in the broken system rather than recognizing there is a problem with himself. Keep up the good work. Very challenging. Very convicting. On many levels and to me personally. If we find that we're mainly using the Bible as a weapon against other people and groups and perspectives, as a tool for arguments, we need to stop and learn to personally receive it. Two practical suggestions. When we read the Bible, we need to learn to combine reading with prayer. And so let me suggest to you two practices. One is called the prayer of illumination. Every time you open the Bible, pray a simple prayer. Lord, bring this home to me. I love the prayer of Samuel from 1 Samuel 3. Speak, Lord. For your servant is listening. And as you're reading the Bible, with a prayer of illumination, combine that also with regular prayers of confession. What is this saying about my life? What is this bringing to light that I might not want to see? May our reading be combined with prayer. Second way that we receive the Bible is in community. This passage has been misread. And I would argue misused, because it often goes like this. Look at the Bereans. They heard what Paul had to say, and then they all went home alone, and they sat down at their tables, and they decided whether or not they were going to believe what Paul said or not, on their own. That is not what the passage says. What we see here is that this was not a private matter or a solo matter. The adjectives and the verbs are plural. These character traits, these practices, were community virtues and practices. And the truth is that we cannot understand the Bible all by ourselves, just me, the Bible, alone. That's not how it's meant to be. We need the help of a trusted community. A community that sees our biases and our blind spots. A community that can help us see where we need to confess and where we fall short. And the community of the past helps us see how we can read in line with what God has taught the church and has taught his people in ages past. So the prejudice of the present moment are in controlling our understanding. That's the second key ingredient. We need to learn to receive the word personally and in community. Third, we need to learn to encounter the scriptures with what I'll call slow inquisitiveness. Verse 11 doesn't say, then the Bereans heard what Paul said, and right there on the spot, in that moment, they believed. It says they received the word, examining the scriptures daily to see 
if these things were so. When we think of having a transformative encounter with the Scriptures, when I use that language, maybe you're thinking of the heavens breaking open and light shining down and I'm never the same after this moment, transformative encounter. And those moments happen, but most often it's through a slow, examining inquisitiveness that our lives are changed. I want to talk about the slow first. We live in an instant gratification world. If we have a problem, we want to have something to fix it right now. <laughs> we don't like to wait. We don't know how long it took for the Bereans to examine the scriptures, but it said daily, every day, they were spending time processing it, wrestling with it. One of the most common pictures in the Bible for spiritual maturity and growth is fruit. The fruit of the Spirit. John 15. Being connected to Jesus the vine and bearing fruit because of that. At our old home where we moved from in Carlsbad, Amelia's dad purchased for us a couple fruit trees to put in our backyard. And so we had them planted and we put them in and then the next spring came around and I'm like, where's the fruit? We planted these fruit trees. Aren't they supposed to give us fruit? And Amelia's like, that's not how it works. We had fruit trees growing up. It takes like years for fruit to be born. I'm like, what's the point in that? Just go to the grocery store then. Bearing fruit takes time. Patience. Cultivation. Steadiness. But over time, it happens. It is born. Persevering for slow, transformative encounters with the gospel is so hard in our day and age because it's very countercultural. I want to share another slide and a quote from David Ullen, or Ulan, not sure how to pronounce his name, but he wrote a book called The Lost Art of Reading. He was a book review editor for the LA Times. He said this about reading. Reading, after all, is an act of resistance in a landscape of distraction. A matter of engagement in a society that seems to want nothing more than for us to disengage. It connects us at the deepest levels. It is slow rather than fast. In the midst of a book, we have no, no, not choice, no choice but to be patient. To take each thing in its moment. To let the narrative prevail. Though he's speaking about fiction and novels, this applies just as strongly and as well to the narrative of the gospel. In order for the narrative of the gospel to prevail in our lives, it happens slow, not fast. There's a gardening proverb that I think speaks so appropriately to this. It says, The best time to plant a tree was 20 years ago. The second best time is now. Slow. The next part of this phrase is inquisitiveness. The word examine here in verse 11, it means to judge. It was used in a legal context, to, to cross-examine, to weigh the evidence, to ask questions and to think. Transformative encounters most often come not in a burst of sudden inspiration, but after a process of thoughtful reflection and meditation. If there's one thing that I've heard as a pastor that has probably more often than anything else squashed someone's desire to learn. It has been when they're in an environment, when they're in a church, where their questions have not been welcomed. And they felt like it's not a safe place to ask and bring those questions. 
there should never be. Because inquisitiveness is commended here and is mentioned as something that led the Bereans to faith, not away from faith. So what are your questions, your doubts, your curiosities? Press into those things in community. They are the gateway to transformative encounters with the Scriptures. Fourth and last key to a transformative encounter with the Bible is eagerness. The Bereans, it says, they receive the word with all eagerness. What is the opposite of eagerness? It's, it's apathy, it's lethargy, it's boredom, it's routine. And if we're honest, sometimes those words describe our relationship to the Bible. And if that's true of us, then it's no wonder that we're not being transformed. The Bereans show us that eagerness comes from our expectations. One, and what we expect to find in the Bible. And two, how we expect it works to transform us. So first, what do we expect to find? What we see from earlier in this chapter in Thessalonica is how Paul talked about the Bible. I'm going to read from earlier in the chapter, verse, verses 2 and 3 from chapter 17. As was his custom, here's what Paul usually did, Paul went into the synagogue and on three Sabbath days he reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and proving that the Messiah had to suffer and rise from the dead. This Jesus I am proclaiming to you is the Messiah. What do we learn? We will only be eager to read the scriptures, to listen, to receive the scriptures, if we are convinced that it is in the scriptures where we meet Him, where we encounter Jesus. When Amelia and I have shared this story with some of you, we're dating long distance from Florida to California. This was in the days, the early days of email, and when phone calls, you still had to pay to make a phone call. So we relied a lot on email communication. And my email at the time, it wasn't the kind of thing, it doesn't just come to your phone or show up in your inbox. You had to press the button, get mail, get mail, send mail in order for it to happen. And so I remember those days when we would have times where we hadn't communicated with each other. I sent an email to her and I'm waiting to hear back and I'm pressing, get mail. Nothing's coming. Okay, try again, get mail. Not yet. Get mail and just keep going and come back to it an hour. And finally, when I get it, I'm reading it, I'm pouring over it, I'm reading it again and again. Now, when we're waiting to hear from someone that we're longing to hear from, it's not that we're hoping to get more information from them. When I was reading those emails, the reason I was so eager to receive them because when I was reading those emails, it was like she was coming closer to me. And I was connecting with her. That's how it should feel when we read the scriptures. Jesus is present. He is connecting to us as we come and as we read and as we listen. There's an author named Glenn Powell. He's written a book called Saving the Bible from Ourselves, and I just want to read what he says about this. He says, The contention of the Bible is that before the foundation of the world, the big story was centered on the Messiah. Our world drama has always been expecting Him and needing Him and longing for Him and finds its true life in Him. If we fail to read the Bible as this Christ story, 
we fail the Bible completely. He's saying, if we feel the Bible has failed us, well, maybe have we considered whether we have failed it. Have we been looking for information and self-help instead of Jesus? If he is there, then we will have an eagerness to meet him. Second aspect of this is how do we expect the Bible to transform us? If you look again with me at verse 12, we learn from what happened here in Berea. It says, Many believed, with not a few Greek women of high standing as well as men. Now Luke is showing us a quick snapshot of what this transformative encounter looked like in this city. It's not just a passing remark what he says here. It's a very significant thing that happened. A very important picture of how it is that the gospel works. And what he's showing us is that the gospel humbles us and brings us low like no other message. And at the same time, the gospel affirms us and lifts us up like no other message or no other worldview. First, let's see how it brings us low. What does he say? Luke says these men and these women were of high standing. These were successful people. These were religious good people. And they had to accept a message that brought them low. A message that said, your high standing counts for nothing in the kingdom of God. It doesn't earn you anything. This is a message of grace for any who can come empty-handed. In order to hear that, they had to be brought very low, on equal ground with everyone else. What does that show us? You have to be brought low to be transformed. And so the more we feel our need, the more eager we will be. Successful and accomplished people then have the biggest barriers to a transformative encounter with the gospel. Because it's so hard for us to admit our need, to ask for help, if that describes us. This also means, that this is true, that the places that you are being brought low now in your life, the places where you feel your need, the places where you're finally ready to say, I can't do this alone. These are the places where you're most ready to receive the word. It could be as a parent. It could be as a student. It could be in processing your career and your calling. It could be as a husband or a wife in your struggle against sin, whatever it is. The gospel says, don't see this as an evidence of your failure. Don't see this as a sign that you're missing it. See this as an opportunity to eagerly approach and receive the word like never before and be changed. The gospel not only brings us low, it lifts us up like nothing else can. Luke mentions these high-standing women first before the men. And that is extremely significant. This is not the first time in the book of Acts where the women are given the place of prominence. Priscilla is mentioned prior to her husband, Aquila. She was likely the stronger leader and teacher. Lydia is mentioned first and given a place of prominence in the church at Philippi. Christianity honored and gave a place of prominence to women like no other worldview at the time. It was radical and unheard of. And Luke doesn't want us to miss this. 
part of what drew these women of high standing in was this deep affirmation that had nothing to do with their successful standing but was found in the message of grace. And this is a mark of a transformative encounter with Jesus. Whenever we meet him, we will be radically and unconditionally affirmed as loved, as valuable, and as treasured by him. And that should make us eager to learn. Let me wrap up. Four keys, open-mindedness, receptiveness, slow inquisitiveness, and eagerness. I just want to say something about what I see happening here in this community, Trinity Presbyterian Church. I see this happening. We have two women's studies. Both of them are focusing on how can we be learners of the Word. And there's just such an eagerness to go maybe beyond reading books about the Bible to immerse themselves in the Bible itself. So encouraged by that. We've been practicing a new rhythm of reading the Bible in community. And I've heard that's been encouraging to many of you. You'll be hearing more about that at the end of this year and next year. And I've been talking with a number of you. And I've been so encouraged to hear stories of what God is doing in your life. Some of you have shared with me, it's been 10, 15 years, around there, since you felt like you've been having a transformative encounter with God in His Word. But it's happening. God is doing things in your life that is incredible, and I just wanted to brag on that for a little bit. Brag on the power, the transformative power of the Bible. Sometimes another pet peeve can be when pastors preach as if this isn't happening, as if no one is getting it. But I want to offer that encouragement. I see it happening. May we be Trinity Church, a learning church, a church that is eager to encounter Jesus in the Word. Now we're going to transition to celebrating the Lord's Supper together. And it's important to note that a transformative encounter with the Gospel needs both hearing and listening, and reading, and tasting. 